Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And Margot Robbie Month continues here on Pod Me If You Can. Hope you've enjoyed it so far. Today, as you can see of the title of this episode, we'll be discussing the complete TV series Pan Am, which aired in 2011, 2012. And this is the first time ever on Pod Me If You Can, Lloyd, we've discussed an entire TV series, isn't it? Yeah, it was a bit of a hard slog through it. How did you find getting through all of Pan Am? Uh, to be honest... I found the first half of the show, like the first seven episodes, let's say, to be a real slog. And it did sort of pick up towards the end. It, it, look, for those who aren't going to see it, or even are going to see it, I'll just mention we're doing spoilers. We're going to be talking about the whole series. Uh, maybe it was not watching it week to week, Lloyd, for me, because when you binge a show like this all at once, it felt different to me. Um, I think that's how TV shows are being watched now. People just tend to binge binge watch like crazy on Netflix or what have you. Of course. For me, Mad Men is the show to compare this to. It's New York, it's 1963, and the season ends with the ball dropping and 1964 right around the corner. It's got a real Mad Men with a kind of catch-me-if-you-can attached to it. Uh, Margot Robbie's character is the face of Pan Am, Pan Am Airlines, and um, with a face like that, as they say, you'll find a husband in a few months. It's got some great nods to the time. I can appreciate, you know, 1963, people being nostalgic for it. The thing is, I feel like it was not executed as well as it could have been. And for me, like, Mad Men did some similar stuff. When you had uh, JFK's assassination, the characters from Mad Men are in their office, and they're all discussing it, you know, being affected by it. And it's, you know, it's tied to world events, you know. But with this, I felt like everything was secondary. There were sort of only three and a half sets. I kept feeling like we were on a plane, of course, being stewardesses. We were either on that plane or in the airport lounge, sort of right boarding the plane. Other than that, we were in a hotel room or a ballroom of some kind. And that was every episode. The international flavour of this film, like this is a glamorous time for a Pan Am stewardess. Like, they, like I, I don't know if you watched any of the documentaries or the behind-the-scenes footage um, that was on the DVD special features, but it's, like, really interesting to see that world during that time uh, in terms of flying. Like, only 10% of the world's population flew. And, like, I think it was in episode eight, the heart attack victim where they had to fly the, uh, land the plane, make an emergency landing, I think, in Haiti, um, where you had that representation of the world working class flying for the first time, which was uh, really interesting. Um, and just the, to be a Pan Am stewardess was like the highest honour. There was the most absolutely beautiful um, American woman, you know, that was well-educated, could speak multiple languages, had to be able to cook, had to have medical knowledge. Although I don't think they really uh, uh, showed that in the movie, but in, in the documentary they were saying, oh, we had to have really advanced um, medical 
um, uh, abilities uh, because you're you know you're up so high anything could happen. They had to be able to cook really well uh, because it's all like first class and flying then was really glamorous. And at first I thought, man, this this series is so overly cast. Like everyone is so good looking. But as soon as I saw the docker at the end, I was like, oh well, that makes sense. I felt like yeah, of course they were a good looking group. And I did watch a bit of those docos. I can't remember what the number was, like one in 400 or 4,000 or something. Yeah, one in 3,000, I think, applicants. 3,000 yeah. applicants, yeah, becomes a stewardess. I'm glad you remembered. But yeah, for me, like, let's jump straight to, like, the cast. They're a good-looking group. And I did feel like they're all a bit young to be in the jobs they're in, but that's how it was in the time. Fine. Yeah, like the age uh, flight attendants, uh, like, they retire at 32, um, that's insane. Like, they have just such a short lifespan. And on top of that, they couldn't be married or have children. <laughs> or get fat. As, or, or, uh, or put on weight. Yeah, I, I, I was shocked to see that. I don't know if that's still the case. Like, obviously, there's a weight limit when it comes to airplanes. They weigh your baggage and so forth. But I, I don't know if the crew has to be weighed, if that's still taken into consideration. Mm, I, I imagine that the aesthetics of a person can't be criticised so much now and people have more rights as employees, but that's how it was at the time. And if there's a scene in Mad Men where some kids are playing with a dry cleaner plastic bag and, like, you know, sort of almost suck at suffocating themselves, the parent just kind of says, hey, stop doing that, you know, that's for my clean dry cleaning or whatever. You know, they're just annoyed about it, and no one has seatbelts, and, you know, it's, um, it's, it's sort of fascinating. The, the um, times? Yeah, the well, period. Well, um, Pan Am treated the stewardess like royalty. They were given first-class hotels anywhere in the world because they were so valuable. They couldn't replace them, like, right away. They were like, like yes, they got so many applicants, but once you were in you'll, and you had experience, you know, they weren't going to drop you. They were going to treat you really well for the time that you were there. And, um, like, on that documentary, they were saying, yeah, at um, hotels, they got us whatever we wanted. And it makes me think like they should have focused more on just that glamorous aspect like maybe they should have just focused on them having relationships um overseas with this elite high class society that they seem to bump into like you can believe that they would bump into princes or princesses that that higher level of um society and they they i feel like a lot of the plots that they went into seemed so contrived they were just way too melodramatic and it did work like the uh, the series was a success overseas but it failed completely in america and i just think the american audience um, just saw through that artificial um, aspect of the uh, like of the series. Every time it went to that um, spy subplot, my eyes were rolling, and I just didn't care because I didn't believe in on, on in any of that, um, you know. But I I, I do believe um, the girl. Uh, what's her name? Um, Kate. Is it Kate? Yeah, who plays the spy? Yep. <laughs> I thought she was the best looking one. <laughs> Look, even if she's the best looking one, she's my least favourite character. And you're right, the spy stuff is really what takes it all too far to the side of what it should be. The whole MI6 setup, you know, oh, the God. fact that... <laughs> yeah, the, one, the fact that they're two sisters, right? One's sort of the perfect one and the other one is a spy kind of thing. That's sort of how it starts, you know, her problem is her sister is the face of Pan Am and she's going to succeed, you know, in the industry where she's working sort of thing. So she has to find a new thing. My problem is 
Basically, when she becomes a spy, it doesn't even seem like she's being paid for it. Her motivation is all wrong, and, like, it's life or death at times. She could, you know, be left in a country or whatever, and she just seems to just be fine with it. Every single other episode, she says she wants out, but she never gets out, and it's so frustrating. Yeah, and it's so flimsy how she comes back, and she goes, all right, I'll do it. You know, like, at some points, it does seem like she's got no choice now. But most of the time, she's just like, oh, I guess I'm doing this now, you know? Yeah, um, there were there were two spy contacts she had. One was Anderson and one was Richard. And Richard's the one who was in every episode, and he appeared at her door and uh, had been shot in the last episode. And he says to her, you know, no one knows about me being shot and missing. If anyone asks you about this microfilm, they're the double agent. The only other character who could ask her is the only other character we've met, which is Anderson. And so I thought, okay, well, Anderson is a double agent, and you also get used to seeing David Harbour's name in the opening title. So some things were taken away, the surprise, but that whole she rises to become an agent and then they want her as a full agent and she's going to give up her Pan Am stewardessness, maybe. At the end, the whole thing was ridiculous. I found all the spy stuff to just be very infuriating, infuriating. And it was every single episode, like she's constantly required. It wasn't a one-off. I think if we had introduced her as like a, you know, believes in romance or doesn't believe in romance or something else for a while before the MI6 stuff setup happened, I probably would have been more on board. You know, I didn't feel like I got to know her as a person. She was just a spy. Yeah, as well, like the whole... Maggie's storyline, how she, you know, is in love with JFK and she gets that box of cigars to him to thank him and he's a shadowy silhouette of a figure. And by the end, when um, JFK dies, you know, she's sort of lost and I suppose heads into this kind of smuggling thing. Because I had gotten to know Maggie, that was much more convincing to me. Uh, The fact that I sort of knew a bit of her backstory. Yeah, well, that was the best part of the whole series, I think, was when they revealed, like, I hated the flashbacks in this series, especially the first six episodes. It's just, oh, my gosh, it just just made me struggle. Like, it just seemed like such an effort to get through, oh, I've got to see this whole flashback, how they came to this point. But definitely Maggie's... I don't know if it's a case like she's such an underdog. She didn't have the best education, but she worked really, really hard. You know, she snuck in um to to classes to do it. She did all the hard work. And there's aspects of the series that never got answered with Maggie. Like, did there's an episode where she sold out a friend. Like, did Maggie ever pay for giving up information on her friends to keep a job? Like, she was on, on the verge of losing a job because she couldn't speak Portuguese or, yep. or something like that. And that yep. was never really resolved. I kind of liked that. And there was just something about Maggie. She just seemed furious. She seemed angry. She seemed like she almost got fired. But because of that backstory, I sympathised with her a lot more. Like, she her, she definitely had the stronger strongest character. Yeah, that's right. And I I sort of thought at times I never knew what was going to become of her because she spends time with the guy from The Village Voice and she gets an article published. She spends time with the congressman and there's a hint of maybe she'll become a congressman's wife. As well, you feel like she could do anything because she's just on this Gatsby adventure. Like, we've seen, you know, the, the, the rise from waitress, I suppose, to uh, stewardess. You feel like, where else could she go? Whatever else could she do? She's the world is her oyster. And she seems really streetwise in particular when they're in Rio and they're buying um, the watches and she knew when they were getting sold out. And then again, 
um, when she was uh, almost blackmailed, pretty much. I didn't quite understand that um, subplot when she was blackmailed into smuggling diamonds with that pilot or something, and she was going to sell it to those people. She she knew how to double deal them and what was happening. So she, she knew wa- the Portuguese, yeah, yeah, the Portuguese, yeah, that's right. Um, Which so, she'd been learning, yeah, yeah, that's right. So she she just seemed like someone that that grew and um, adapted to whatever was thrown at her. As well, though, I mean, by the end. She gets together with Broyles, who's the guy who's blackmailing her. He's the sky god other captain. Yeah, I kind of like that, though. Like, he didn't really get punished. Like, there's a bit of a redemption for him at the end, and it didn't go that typical route. Like, I thought the whole series would wrap up because it just got so ridiculous, all the all the forced relationships at the end. Like, I don't get it. Um, what's his name? Michael Mosley's character, Ted, the Navy pilot, where all of a sudden he has a wife that's a, a lesbian that wants, you know, I, I was just like, wow, they, they're just wrapping up too fast here. And then he's falling for um, Laura. But her when, when she got ma- um, Maggie, when she she got with the um with with the pilot that was smuggling things i just thought yeah that's so her to just spur the moment sort of thing <laughs> i mean she was on a bed of money of course but yeah, um, yeah. but that was so spur of the moment it was such a characteristic thing to do of maggie at that point you know she she um got past this life and death situation and automatically she just you know went into um a, a, a sort of like um ecstasy at that point like a climactic moment for her character i felt a bit like there was no consequences for anybody in the whole show. Whenever there was any conflict, it was resolved really easily. Nobody ever really... Like, at the end of the the season, I suppose, of 14 episodes, Dean, the pilot, has been grounded. But that's not even, like, an end-of-the-world punishment. That should have been... That was so ridiculous. At the end of episode 8, where they land in Haiti, and he risks all those people's lives you know, in in a very war-torn country and he (laughs) sends off um, one of the stewardesses and his co-pilot just to find a doctor that they don't even know is there and then, oh my gosh, and then they got rid of all the people's luggage on on that plane and they could have all been high up elite people and he doesn't pay for it and there's this stupid I'm Spartacus moment where they all stand you know, stand up for um, the decision of the captain and it's just like, man, that... You know, he doesn't really pay for it till the end of the series, but at that after that moment, I was just like, well, this is ridiculous, you know? <laughs> I literally have in my notes, they do a I am Spartacus moment to get out of it. <laughs> so that's how I read that too. I, I found, like I mentioned, the first half of this season, I found more tedious. The flashbacks hurt it as well. As well, I felt like lots of characters were extras. Like Ted did feel like he couldn't immediately get uh, Margot Robbie's character, Laura, so he started, you know, dating prostitutes or whatever he was doing, and he was just a glorified extra for the, basically the first half of the show. That old man on the flight reminded me of the Alanis Morissette song, you know, he waited 40 years, he waited his whole damn life just to take that flight. And then I was thinking as I was watching, he has, has that heart attack, it's the most dramatic thing that's happened in the show, and it's to a guest star, like a really minor character that we're not at all attached to. He's actually the guy who plays the mean judge in Ghostbusters 2. I thought I'd just bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> on uh, on my DVD, I don't know about you, but all through that Haiti episode, there was French-speaking, Haitian doctor, and none of it was subtitled. Really I don't think like mine sh- was either, yeah. It felt like it should have been, and that maybe is an issue with the DVD. But you, do you know the running of this series when it aired, it was out of order? 
there were quite a few episodes aired completely out of order. Like they played episode, I think it was five as the second last episode. I can't imagine what it was like for people to have watched that airing and what, what, these people aren't together? Wasn't this spy moment about to resolve itself? Just so ridiculous. And apparently on our DVD, I think like they obviously corrected that, but still one of the episodes, I think it goes one, two, three, five, four or something like that. I think it's like one, four. And I did read that. One of the episodes, it's around the time Margot Robbie's character moves out. She's not with Kate, yes. living with yeah, Kate. Yeah, yeah, that's right. She's not living with her. She's moves in with Maggie. And then the next episode, I think it was, they talk about, are you coming back to our place? You know, whatever. And as well, there's like an incident that happens for Kate and it's referenced by Richard. So it didn't work to play them out of order it actually hurt the show you said um you the, the character you disliked the most was uh kate's character um, yeah look Kelly i can Garner. appreciate she's good looking i can appreciate <laughs> it who's your favorite character oh um the issue i have in the show i suppose i'll just say this and then tell you is that the first seven episodes there are too many external characters and we really should have had, like, a core relationship to be rooting for. Um, you've got Dean, who's just been burnt by Bridget, and then he gets together with Ginny, who's temporary, and then there's Colette, back to Bridget, back to Colette. Like, he's all over the place. Ted, as I said, tries to kiss Laura, but he gets rejected, so he's a glorified extra, until that whole lesbian wife subplot. Colette, like, is with the married man in episode one, briefly with Dean, and then there's, like, a handful of other things going on leading towards uh, Omar, the uh, prince. Maggie dates, as I said, Mike Ruskin of the Village Voice, the congressman, uh, Broyles. Kate gets the Yugoslavian man, Goran. Uh, his real name's Goran, like, Ivanezovich or something. And you get Laura, Margot Robbie's character, She's with the photographer for a bit, but not really sleeping with him. And then she just sleeps with Joe the sailor, eventually with Ted. I felt like there were so many other characters to get to know outside of our core six. I consider those the main six. I guess Maggie was the most well-fleshed-out character. But obviously this month is Margot Robbie month, so I was paying extra attention to her storylines. So I suppose Maggie and Laura, uh, just because as well... As well as how Maggie is portrayed and how, you know, you feel like you don't know what her character's doing. It could go anywhere. Laura is all fresh-faced. She's run away from a marriage. She's a runaway bride. She is um, the face of Pan Am and kind of the face of the show. And I feel like, you know how it's sort of the first flight and it's like this new show and the clip of Majestic, you know, they're all like uh, launching the program. I feel in many ways like the innocence of Margot Robbie's character is kind of her arriving in Hollywood you know because this, this is the this is the her major film after Australia isn't it well yeah she goes from neighbors the tv show in australia she's done hundreds of episodes of to this show and obviously getting the pilot of a show is big the pilot getting picked up is big and unfortunately it went 14 episodes but if you had 2016 margot robbie in this show it would never have been cancelled you know <laughs> that's the ironic thing here but you don't get to 2016 margot robbie without this show you know, because Pan Am kind of launches her, you know, into the next thing. So her character is interesting because um, becoming a, a bride pushes her to become an airline stewardess. You know, she runs off with her sister. Then it pushes her into photography when she poses. And then, it, you know, it sort of feels like 
her character's becoming something. She's meets Andy Warhol by the end of the show, <laughs> and you know. Um, so I suppose Maggie, and then second would be Laura. How about yourself? Um, yeah, well, just I guess Maggie would probably be the best character, but I I did like Colette. She just seemed like the most. Um, like she was always there for every single character, but I didn't like the the episode where it showcased like her feelings towards Germany. Like she really didn't like Germany. Then she sings that song, and you're just like tightening up that whole time. Like oh, this isn't going well or anything like that. But I, I just uh, with the way that was presented and how the information was revealed, like she's walking up the stairs, and then all of a sudden, you know, she's having flashbacks of World War Two with her parents being taken away. I really didn't like just the way how that information was re- revealed. It, w- it was just too slow, too long. And I was like, oh, get it. You know, they could have cut that heaps earlier. Yeah, but uh, Colette is uh, a really, um, you know, useful character in terms of her, how many languages she, she she can speak and how willing she is to help any character in a, in a mess. She, she just seems to be always there. Colette, for me, there was one episode which I really didn't like and it was creepy and weird. And it was the one with the you kid? can guess. The one with the, the kid with the divorced parents. The kid, was it the kid's performance that really made it that creepier? Like, obviously, she's just trying to humor him. Like, um, you know, like uh, she sees that he, he's a kid. This is a kid without parents, and she sees a lot of her in the kid. But yeah, it just, uh, just something about how the kid goes about kissing her and how she doesn't really turn him away like she should, you know, like an adult. She should be more creeped out. That's how I felt. Yeah, just like how an adult should react, you know, but maybe it's a European thing I'm just not seeing. Well, I felt a bit like the child, his name's Charlie, you know, it was uncomfortable. He has issues, obviously, with his parents. And needs some, you know, better acting lessons. (laughs) (laughs) That too, no doubt, but... I don't know why he had to be a pickpocket, you know, and and who that was for. And he learned to pick locks because he sneaks into her room. And so, you know, he has like a really weird relationship with her. And the fact that he's snuck into her room, she should be like, you're a little creep, get out of here. But obviously she has a soft spot because of the whole parents thing. The whole subplot was only there to serve and highlight that Colette didn't have parents again, which it felt repetitive and... I really didn't enjoy it. Like, I was like, this is this is odd and doesn't fit in with the show, you know? I liked the fact that Dean, uh, the new pilot, you know, he had to earn respect because he'd jumped 65... He'd jumped ahead of 65 qualified, more qualified pilots than him. He at first had to earn respect from his co-pilot, who's Ted, you know, who's annoyed that he's not in the pilot's seat. As it goes on, he's got to make a lot of captain decisions, you know? And he makes probably the worst one in episode eight by landing in Haiti. And then kind of trying to take off after throwing everything away, um, I suppose, made up for him. I was frustrated that in that episode, and it was a real turning point for the show, I think, but that the old man dies. Like, the whole thing is a waste of time. Yeah. The fact he has a heart attack. And they leave his body there on top of that. Yeah. I was like, what is happening? You know? (laughs) Had he lived, he would have been a hero. But because he dies, it's just such a strange... Look, when I think of a show like this, I think of the Mile High Club. You know what I mean? This feels like the kind of thing where I realise, you know, they are all employees there and but they have access to the plane, like they're drinking on the plane, they're partying on the plane. And some of them are sort of looser women for the time. I feel like 
the show is super PG. It's like the Babysitter's Club on a plane sometimes. Yeah, it looks through that time period with rosy-tinted glasses, is that the saying? <laughs> rose-tinted, yeah. Yeah, rose-tinted glasses that, that uh, you know, everyone, like, uh, there was a lot of talk of sex before marriage and all that, and I get that, that that was a big thing at the times. Like, if you have a baby out of wedlock, well, you could forget about ever showing yourself in public ever again, that sort of thing. Like, that was very, that feeling of the 50s working its way into the 60s was very prevalent, but... Again, I think this this would have been made a much better TV series had that pushed more in the into the relationships of that glamorous lifestyle. And I get that. I think they would have had a lot of a lot more sexual relationships because these are all very good looking people, and they, it would have been amplified heavily on top of that um, in that high class society around the world. Like the rules are completely different for relationships, or you know, just how they conduct themselves and everything. And they're given the best of everything, you know, in these first class hotels. Gosh knows what they would have gotten up to, and I, I, it would have been such a great. Um, series, I think, had they uncovered more of an authentic sort of storyline, something real, you know, something that you could believe rather than these contrived subplots of spies and of these melodramatic relationships like Colette and that kid that keeps pick pickpocketing or the, you know, it, it just got too um, ba- uh, uh, soap opera for me. I would have maybe enjoyed someone actually getting into trouble, even getting thrown off the show, the plane, you know, just like halfway through the show, if you just wrote out one of the four girls and it was like a cautionary tale, you know, I mean, Bridget serves as a cautionary tale, you know, she vanished because she was a spy and, and everything. And I I was wondering, did you get the impression Maggie and Dean used to date? No. I thought that was sort of implied in the first episode. In the first episode, sure. When she arrives late and Dean's sort of like, no, no, not Maggie. And he has sort of history with her. But that was never really addressed. Anyway, so Bridget sort of serves as a cautionary tale to, you know, not spying and doing all that sort of stuff. Um, But Kate just gets away with everything. Like, she's never, ever caught and in trouble. In fact, in that one episode, they go to Russia or the USSR and and it's Laura and... um, Is it Colette? No, it's Bridget. Laura and Bridget who get captured and suspected of being spies because she took the camera and she took the photo you know when she's looking for that daffodil in the window so it's weird how untouchable kate is i liked how the series addressed some of the issues back then in particular with the african-american navy man that laura um gets with but i i didn't like it how they forced a relationship between them i I liked it how they were friends i don't think it needed to go into the sexual into a sexual aspect of the relationship i think it would have been stronger had they just simply been friends and laura is just more ashamed with the um with the people of the times like uh, how how their you know their attitudes towards an african-american soldier i didn't feel they they didn't need to push at that extra level it just uh, showcases such a melodramatic form of writing i think i agree i felt like they needed her to lose her virginity you know she's growing up she hears that story about kate's first time and it's meant to sort of let her know that you'll know when it's right and it's not perfect every time but then for her to not do it with the photographer and then think immediately do it with the next guy you know you'll you'll know when it's right oh here's the next guy to come around 
they did force the relationship with the sailor. Had she met the sailor, they'd, they'd become friends, and then the next time she saw him, slept with him, that would have made more sense. But it did feel like she was doing it to prove she wasn't racist, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's right. Yeah, she felt bad about locking her door. Uh, you know, she she felt bad about how what happened to him. And it was a weird kind of, yeah, it didn't feel like there was any kind of romance between them. She just wanted to lose her virginity. You'll know when it's right. He's the closest guy. And I'm not a racist, so I'll sleep with you to prove that. I mean, she does become more liberated. She gets a nude torso photograph. For me, the, the show, what it does right is it tries to acknowledge things that are happening in the time. Like it nods to Malcolm X. The I am a jelly donut gets a lot of mileage. You know, it's historical. You've got the Beatles and uh, that shadow of JFK. Robert Redford gets referenced and Kennedy's space race. For me, maybe we should have seen some stunt casting and actually had, you know, the Beatles or, you know, seen them in a, a lobby or something like that. Maybe, uh, no, not Robert Redford, but um, we get that shadowy JFK and that's as close as we get, which I quite enjoyed that episode where she's trying to see him. Uh, and that's all Maggie's flashbacks, of course. Yeah, I like it how she didn't actually get to see him. Like, that's as close as she got, but that was enough for her. Like, that drew satisfaction for her. It's like you said, um, the fact that they all get comped everything in this high society. I feel like we should have seen some more high society people, not just Omar the Prince, you know, um, up close, like at, at a party, they could have had someone playing Andy Warhol. I think they succeeded in some of the international flavors. Like I, it did feel like they went to Jakarta. It did feel like they went to some of the clubs in, in Paris, or they went to the street markets in Rio. And that's a credit to the production team. I think, um, like it, do, it does feel like very, very claustrophobic throughout this whole series. But it, it just something about the maybe the actors they use, the music that they use, the the um, it just felt international, and I wanted more of that rather than um, you know it just seemed like we we're in a hotel the entire time. Um, you know, a lot of this was just shot in Brooklyn, um, like uh, New York, and they just used the st streets. And I, I think they achieved uh, you know a lot of good things, but uh, a lot of the special effects as well really hurt this um, TV series and TV shows now like. 20 years ago I would have said oh that's perfectly acceptable but TV series now are just getting so good our appetite and demand for quality is just through the roof you know I agree I'm glad you mentioned the special effects I had issues with them as well hard to watch some of them like I know you can't like stunt a plane you know um, you can't sort of actually film it but um, yeah it didn't look good Look, around episode nine, I wrote this note. I found myself wishing that maybe Laura found out about Kate's CIA stuff. So at least there was an ounce of drama to the shared secret, you know? If Laura knew that Kate was in jeopardy or uh, Maggie knew or somebody knew, maybe then it wouldn't feel like Kate was in her own storyline. Because all the CIA stuff is just happening to one of the girls, you know? I feel like everyone else's stuff overlapped, you know? They sort of are aware of Maggie trying to get with congressman, whoever, senator, whoever, you know, uh, CJFK. They all sort of know what every, everything else is going on. But the CIA stuff was just Kate. And there was so much of it. It felt like it was a different show. And so if Laura had found out, of course, she's not going to say anything because she's her sister. And then 
there would have been all this drama, don't you think? Laura could have been like, don't do it, I know we're going there, and whatever, and maybe she would have had to lie to get her out of some situations. It probably would have been good for their uh, relationship as sisters. I don't know, I just was sick of no one else knowing what she was doing. Because it felt like that was going to be a big reveal. Like, with Bridget, Bridget could talk to Kate about it. But Bridget's only a guest star, you know? I wanted one of the other main girls to know about Kate's CIA dealings. As well, that episode number nine was called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It ends with Kate shooting someone to death. He shoots uh, Bill from Californication, <laughs> if uh, people are interested. And she says it's haunting her. But I don't get that vibe. There's no lasting nightmare to the person she's murdered. And I would have thought, like, she, she holds up too well, you know? She's not too thrown about it. She still seems to just kind of carry on. It was like it was all exercised once she had the uh, lie detector test. Yeah, and after that, it never gets mentioned. She never, like, wakes up in the night. Well, it just goes to show she's the perfect agent, um, <laughs> Dave. She has no um, uh, ethical pangs or anything like that, so she could be a super assassin for the CIA. Sure. Um, it, yeah, look, let's talk briefly about Ashley Green. She's uh, from Twilight. She played Amanda, who was the um, kissing fiancé of Ted. Uh, she got with all the girls. She kissed Christina Ricci, who plays Maggie. She implied that she wanted to kind of get with Margot Robbie. Was it kind of just a big stunt? I don't know. <laughs> Throwing in some lesbianism? I mean, is, is the show going down the toilet or... Do you think it's supposed to be a commentary on how sexually uh, repressed people had to be? And yeah, I think they were trying for that. But uh, the whole time I was thinking, like, out of all the characters in this, it should be Ted going, yes, yes, this is awesome, <laughs> you know, and then going, what, I can have an open relationship? It seemed like like they just wanted to show that, oh, Ted's above that, despite what we've been showing you in the whole lead up to this. And I'm just like, oh, come on. But I guess if his eyes were on Laura, and I never got he had a big crush on Laura. Like, like, sorry, he was like he had a crush on her, but wasn't in love with her enough to to drop a girl he was about to marry um, that much. But uh, I don't know. Like, it just seemed uh, too rushed, and they were ju just trying to advertise so much for, hey, look what's what could happen if we get a second se second um, uh, season of this show, uh, which is uh, unfortunately what happens a lot of the times to these TV series. They just don't get to end it appropriately. Well, it's it's really funny. I just want to quickly mention before we get into the last episode, shenanigans, Ginny. Uh, how she smashes her face into that window. I thought that was a real turning point for the show as well. And how insane she was. You know, because... I mean, she's just turning up and trying to get with Dean, the captain. And, and oh, I don't know. I, as she's facing away, I was like, oh, I vibed that it was about to happen. But, you know, then it cuts to the next scene. And, I mean, we're not watching with commercial breaks. Presumably there would have been one there. It cuts to the next scene and she's got no makeup on. And she's just had this wound fixed up on her head and she acts as if it didn't happen and I was like oh this is horrible like and he's so cold to her about it in that moment um yeah I almost uh wasn't on his side like he could have had a better bedside manner but um yeah I just wanted to mention Ginny the um fur coat girl look the final episode is titled um 1964 and so it wraps up the fantastic year they've had I feel like we can speculate about what um, what would happen to these characters next. It does end 
with so much optimism. They've paired off, you know, uh, Dean and Colette. They've paired off Ted and they've paired off Laura. And so sort of awkward there that the other two sort of give each other a hug. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, we are not paired off, but <laughs> we're the extras. <laughs> Look, um, what do you see happening to these characters if it wasn't cancelled? Well, I you think know. Maggie would go on to Congress because there is a character, I think that was mentioned in the documentary series, that did fight a lot for women's rights or or something like that, that she eventually got into Congress and her background was as a stewardess. I could have completely misinterpreted that from the documentary, but I'm, I'm assuming Maggie's character is going to go down the political route. I think Laura and um, Dean will obviously have their relationships. It'll be a whole back and forth thing like well, I'm sure it'll be wild and crazy I think uh, Colette will search for a brother and that'll be a huge threat as well as will she won't will they won't they sort of thing between her and um, Dean and I think uh, Kelly Garner will begin a training as a super um, agent um, you know that's Kate oh sorry that's Kate <laughs> that's her real name is it I'm guessing Kelly Garner is a real name yeah so I figure she's she's going to have a romance with Richard, who's the other spy. Um, surely he's the only one who would understand what she's going through and becoming a real agent, you know. She's going to have that choice of whether or not to continue with Pan Am or not. Well, did that guy live, um, the Serbian guy that she had a relationship with? Yeah, he went back to Yugoslavia, Yeah, maybe, maybe they'll reprise the relationship. Sure, yeah. Well, maybe just when it's going well with Richard, you bring back the Yugoslavian... Um, makes sense, makes sense. So Colette and Dean, I mean, I feel like Colette's going to find her brother, maybe be disappointed with who he is or the choices he's made or whatever. You know, you've got to have some drama in there. But um, Dean, I feel like he's going to have nothing but trouble. You have to have somebody have some consequences happen to them. He's got six months away from, uh, from being a pilot. So I feel like if you jumped the show six months, then... You've got him going back to work. They haven't found the brother yet. Then Ted is three months away from being a father with uh, Amanda. So what you do is you have then, um, if you've got the next three months kind of covered, you're going to have a birth scene. You know, you're going to have some drama for his character. If you pick the show up six months on, and maybe you have a birth at 30,000 feet. I feel like Laura is like you're pairing her with Ted at the end there. She's not going to stay with him because he's, even though he's professing, it's always been you, Laura. I'm I'm with you, Lloyd. They didn't really sell that relationship well enough. Yeah. Ted think, just doesn't seem like that kind of guy. Yeah. He needs to become a pilot. I think he's becoming a father. He needs to become a pilot. And they need to write him out of the show. He needs to leave and, um, because they can't have two pilots. Well, I think Laura would be written out of the show purely because uh, Margot Robbie would have been picked up for all these roles. <laughs> yeah, but in my in my head, I'm thinking they would try and keep her on the show and let her do films in between, like when Michael J. Fox shot um, Back to the Future while he was shooting... Um, I can't think what the sitcom was. I can't was. think of the show. I know the show you're talking about. Yeah. Nope, it's not going to come to me. <laughs> uh, but so I feel like they would family be ties. letting her do family ties. <laughs> Is yeah. it family ties? Or maybe it's not family ties. I feel like it's family ties. Okay. <laughs> we can leave it there. Yeah. It's probably family ties. People will let us know. Um, but I feel like her romance with Ted is a bit whatever. I feel like her real romance is travel and photography and sort of modeling. So one of those three things has to pick up. 
whether or not it's the fact that she travels and meets men and like uh, has big romances and they pursue her or whatever if she takes photos and opens you know a gallery or like whatever um, or does modeling you know whether it be for Andy Warhol or whoever one of the three things has to pop it's not going to be Ted. Ted I would see leaving the show because as soon as he becomes a pilot he's got on another plane and he's a bit of a guest star. Um, as I said, I think, Dean, you bring back Ginny, you bring back the fact that, you know, uh, Maggie dobbed him in. All that stuff is still sort of weighing there, and Broyles can sort of bring him down as well if he doesn't let him smuggle things. I think Maggie, uh, if I'm if I'm saying this correctly, I feel like there were no consequences in the first 14 episodes. Maybe Maggie goes to jail or, like, has a reality check about smuggling with Broyles. I'd like to see her... You know, if she's, say she's busted for smuggling and then the police are like, well, you have to wear a wire and do this for us, you know. I feel like she should be brought down a peg before she can sort of decide what to do with herself. It sounds like the show that you're pitching for the second season isn't doesn't have much to do with Pan Am at all and these characters are branching off into other things. Like, maybe Ted becomes like a private um, pilot for celebrities or something like that. That would probably be a more interesting show than Pan Am. <laughs> well, the reason I would write Ted out um, is because, like, I know him as a comedic actor from... He was in the final season of Scrubs. And for me, I didn't really buy him in, uh, in this as a drama. He was just sort of comedic to me. But what I would do is, as I write out Ted, I would be bringing in a new girl. So a new airline hostess who, you know, can stir things up you know, kind of plays by her own rules or challenges all of them, basically. And this is, you'll see her as a replacement for Kate, who's taking some time off and doing the agent training. But then this new girl would just be there to shake up a second season before you bring Kate back and she realises she doesn't want to do the MI6 thing anymore. So, yeah, basically you just inject some new blood. But I think you have to take out Ted. There's so many external men char male characters, you know, that you don't need. Is it still going to be set in Pan Am? Yeah, I mean, they're all still the same people. Yeah. That's how they all know each other. But um, it's what's happening around their job. I think Sanjeev was underused. He was sort of a funny co-pilot kind of guy as well. So he was in half the episodes. And, and every time they brought in another person, so when there was a guest pilot... They or, always um, seemed like the villain. <laughs> yeah, they did. But I always found them to be more interesting than the leads. <laughs> I don't know, I was always like, oh, what's this guy got going on? What's what's this girl doing? You know, like, it was just, um, I don't know, I, I became tired of, of the six attractive people and I, and I completely get that if you liked one of them, then you would watch the show week to week. You know, you go, oh, you know, I'm a big Christina Ricci fan or Margot Robbie fan or whatever, you're into Kate. You would watch it week to week and you'd say, yeah, I'll keep watching. I like this person, I like this actress. I mean, I get it. I feel like that's what they were trying to sell and I feel like the show wasn't as well written as it could have been. Yeah, definitely not a memorable one for sure, especially in this day and age when a great TV series just seems to come all the time. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Uh, I feel like the show was cancelled because you get bored of it. In the first seven episodes, they were the toughest. And so to build an audience, you need a better first seven episodes. And as I said, I think it got better. The show improved over the 14. It was just... Um, it was sort of a slow start, so it probably never had the numbers. Yeah, and it was a sign of weak writing when they just relied so much on flashbacks. Like, just so much. It's like, oh, guys, you're, you're doing this all wrong. And, I mean, I, like I said, I enjoyed Mad Men. I enjoy the idea of the 60s and the romance of it. 
I just feel like, um, yeah, I mean, the show got cancelled and was replaced by GCB, and isn't that, like, good Christian bitches? So, like, that's the kind of time slot they were in. So, look, we should really talk about Margot Robbie. I think it's a great role for her. She played the innocent well at the start. And her character evolves. Like, you see she's kind of sultry in all those pictures when you um, see her walk through the gallery. Yeah, she like, Margot Robbie, obviously, is an extremely beautiful woman, the representation of the blonde, beautiful Australian and everything like that. And she gets to be really showcased in this um, series with all the dresses she gets to wear of, that really shows her off um, that um, is of that time period of the 60s. And, of course, in that um, in, in the pictures the photography t- the photographer took of her where she was almost nude and next time on Margot Robbie Month everybody use the hashtag Margot Robbie Month it's never been used before this month next time on the month we'll be uh, we'll be into the Wolf of Wall Street so we're going to talk about Margot Robbie's big break um, so for, at this point she's moved from Neighbours she's in Pan Am and then she gets this part in Wolf of Wall Street ahead of all these other actresses and this is where she really blows up because it's a huge Scorsese movie and we're going to talk about that next week Uh, as well Lloyd's been uh, working on some videos for our YouTube channel and probably before you see Wolf of Wall Street you'll see one of her really early performances pop on our YouTube channel so you can find all links to everything like that at www.podmeifyoucan.com and you can tweet us you can find our Twitter handles and everything there join us on Facebook and tell us what your favourite Margot Robbie uh, film is or if it's Pan Am, or if it's Neighbours. If it's a TV series, let us know. Thanks very much for listening, and we look forward to continuing Margot Robbie Month next week. Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod Me If You Can. Movie Reviews.